Hello and welcome to the Sport for Business podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hartnett, and in today's 59th episode of the show, we focus on high-performance sport and the funding of programs and individual athletes. I'm joined by Nevo Sullivan, High Performance Director at Sport Ireland, and our conversation covers the background to the increase in funding over this current cycle towards the Paris Olympic and Paralympic Games, what the money is used for, and lots more. This is the story of how great athletes become so. I think you'll enjoy it. We're out here now at the Sport Island campus, the announcement of the high performance funding for 2024. And I'm delighted to be joined by Nevo Sullivan, a one-time Sport for Business PwC 30 Under 30 graduate. Uh, You're very welcome to the Sport for Business podcast, Neve. Tell us a little bit about the funding, 25 million this year, a record high. Tell us a little bit about what goes into that. It's uh, really exciting today. Uh, 25 million investment in high performance sport. It's it's an exceptional amount of money. Um, it's also a record level of investment this year. And most excitedly, it's um, it's a record level of investment throughout this entire cycle. Uh, so 21, 2022, 23, and then this year as well have all been um, the highest levels of investment we've seen in high performance sport. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be involved in high performance sport, uh, whatever your background as an athlete or coach or administrator. Um, and this investment is is really essential to supporting the national governing bodies in their high performance programs. It really is a significant step up. I mean, the the total amount of money that went in across the Tokyo cycle was fifty nine million. Now we're at eighty nine million for the uh, you know for the Paris cycle, and this is for athletes and programs across the Olympic and the Paralympic Games that are aiming towards those for this summer. Is there a is, is there a ceiling on this rate of of growth or? What you're delivering in this cycle now, and we've seen extensive, uh, you know, lift in terms of the number of medals. The more money we put into this, are we going to get better and better? Um, yeah. So I suppose um, we have to be conscious that we're competing against the best in the world, um, who are also investing what we're investing and much more in some cases. So we have to be conscious of of where we are uh, around that. Um, and in terms of where we'd like to go, uh, there's a very clear commitment in the national sports policy that was published in 2018 around tripling the investment in high performance sport. Uh, and that tripling was was based on 10 mil- million at that time. So uh, that would that would indicate 30 million uh, in the lifetime of the national sports policy. All the signs are that we're headed in that direction, which is really positive. And the support from from Sport Ireland. The board um, has been has been substantial towards high performance sport, and then critically, the department and government as well have really been a backer of high performance sport. So, the trajectory is positive, um, and uh, what you know helps um, the story of our investment is that the medals are also increasing. So, uh, more money, more medals would would make sense um, at this point in our journey. Yeah, 99 in the last year, 260 in this cycle. The target was 
270. So perhaps even in uh, in Doha and the swimming at the moment, uh, you know, the the, uh, the those targets are being blown out of the water. The funding comes by way of funding programs, and there are other supports as well, which we'll talk about. But one of those numbers, which always grabs a headline, is the amount of money which is going to individual athletes. So there are 33 athletes in this year that are on podium uh, funding, 31 on world class, and 59 on international. Yeah, the international carding scheme, um, that's been in place in Ireland since 1999. Um, so it's a long-standing scheme and it's criteria-based uh, and retrospective of performance. Um, so athletes deliver a performance and then they're rewarded with uh, financial support uh, the year after that performance. Um, there's Each sport has very specific criteria, which reflects the competition structure and the different standards uh, within their sport. There's broad strokes for us, which is that a podium, 40,000 euro, that is a podium at a world championships or at an Olympic Games. Um, And then world class then would be equivalent to a European championship medal, um, a final at a world championships or Olympic Games, Paralympic Games as well. And then international would be uh, those who are aspiring to reach those standards of world-class and podium, but are currently on a journey towards that. So typically they would be semi-finalists at at world championship, finalists at European championship level, um, and then qualification and performance at the Olympic and and Paralympic Games. So those are the broad strokes of of the criteria, but each sport has, um, has their own specific criteria within that. And the the names are, are familiar. You've got uh, you know Reese McLenahan. You've got uh, you've got Rashida Adelecki. You've got Kira McGeehan. You've got Kelly Harrington. They would all be on the podium uh, level. Uh, remarkable sixteen rowers that are at that level as well, which just shows the strength and, and, and depth in that sport. But it's open to any athlete across any of the sports that are in the Olympic and the Paralympic cycle as well. So how broad does that go? So we don't have a criteria in place for every Olympic and Paralympic sport. Um, so uh, the international carding scheme, when it was first established, it was it it um, preceded the high performance program funding. So athletes that received carding, uh, that was covering all their training and competition costs. And they had limited support from the national governing bodies at that point because high performance program funding wasn't in place. So now that that is reversed. Um, so high performance program funding has obviously increased exponentially um, and the athletes then are rewarded through the carding scheme as well, um, you know, 25 years on. So the 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 expenses that are incurred under the international carding scheme are different for every athlete. Some still put quite a lot towards their training and competition costs and then some in other sports is more covered by the national governing body. So we have evolved the carding scheme to be delivered by the national governing bodies as they see best um, for their athletes. They have the expertise and we rely on that. Um, and they also then propose to us the criteria uh, for inclusion in the scheme as well. So it's very much a collaborative collaboration approach uh, with the NGBs in, in designing the scheme. You've done the money side of it, and I know that this might be different from, from each sport, but to be an athlete at this level requires you know, 100% commitment. And so the ordinary things of life in terms of having a roof over your head, having food on the table, uh, never mind the travelling to compete and things like that. Are there, are there guidelines or even restrictions on how the money can be spent? Or is that down to each of the individual sports and each of the individual athletes as to what they actually do with the money? 
Yeah, so um, it's it's down to each individual athlete and and the national governing body how they spend that money. Um, what we don't do that they do in other countries is uh, we don't means test athletes for their inclusion on the scheme. Uh, we would take a, a a view that athletes who have an opportunity an opportunity to earn money in, in their career whilst uh, they're doing very well should do so, and they shouldn't be penalised um, by our withdrawal in funding from us. So that that's our philosophy and approach currently. Um, individual athletes will have different uh, expenses that they will incur and, and some sports are more expensive than others to engage in as well. Um, I would say the international carding scheme athletes on the scheme, they're not, you know, they're not getting rich off the scheme. Uh, they're just being able to do what they need to do on a daily basis. Um, so it's really just a help uh, for those athletes and whatever that transpires to be as a help, whether it's paying for a competition or a coach. Um, or any sort of services that an athlete might need, uh, we see that as appropriate for them to determine. And the money which goes to each of those individual athletes is backed up as well by programme funding. So each of the 19 sports that are that are being funded with programme funding that goes beyond what Sport Ireland will be distributing from the government in terms of core funding, they... The sort of the ways in which they can spend that as well. I mean, obviously, we're in a fairly high functioning, high performance environment now as well. Uh, there will always be an inevitability of some sport performing better than others. And, you know, sports like athletics and swimming, which are actually doing great at the moment, they're competing with 200 and odd countries around the world where other sports might have a, a slightly less competitive environment to go with. But that funding of the programmes, does Sport Ireland work closely with the sport to determine where that's going to go and perhaps getting a shared sense of what's working in high performance sport and broad level? Um, we um we work very closely with the NGBs and um, we also really re highly regard their expertise in their own sport. Um, so the performance directors and uh, the chief executives of each sport, they'll have a clear understanding of what their priorities are for their sport. Um, so our role is to help them um, and guide them um, rather than dictate um, and, and respect that they are autonomous bodies as well. So in terms of high performance, there's just general costs that are kind of your bread and butter for running a high performance program. You have training costs, training camp costs, uh, competition costs, salaries of performance staff. Um, and then you have um, other costs as well that, that are just core uh, to delivering a high performance program. So you what we're trying to do is is to reach the level of um you know highly effective programs um that can then look at the 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 1% extra that they need to do around innovation um further development of athlete pathways and there are some emerging areas across the national governing bodies which are a common a common challenge i would say which is the improvement of the athlete pathway um and also the increase of female coaches um and the general improvement of high performance coaching as a career so those are really two exciting opportunities that are that are a common thread amongst the majority of national governing bodies that we fund for high performance sport. And, you know, it is said that a rising tide will lift all boats. There is a real benefit to that commonality. You've got the Sport Ireland Institute out there as well, and you've got expertise there in terms of physiology, in terms of nutrition, in terms of psychology. Are those supports funded out of that programme funding or are they there for the sports in addition to this as well? 
So the uh, each sport will have their own agreement with the Sport Ireland Institute uh, as to the the service requirement for that particular sport. Um, so that's a process that is separate to the high performance program funding piece. Um, and where sports uh, require additional services, they have the capacity through our investment um, in some cases to also draw down on that. But the Sport Ireland Institute is and the campus itself. It's a huge asset to our high performance sport in Ireland. Um, you know, we need to look at it in in the other other way that we are a very small country. Therefore, we can come together um, very easily in one central place um, and use that more readily than those very big countries that we compete against where athletes and coaches and support staff can't get together as often. We can do that. Um, and we do that through the Sport Ireland Institute and the Sport Ireland Campus. Um, so that's actually a, a huge competitive advantage that we have, uh, which is which, again, is, is an exciting offering in, in Ireland. The the financial side of this moves to a mostly annual funding, um, you know, over the last couple of years, which I think is obviously really important from an athlete's perspective. Is it an open system so that you can capture a fast riser in a sport who might not be, even as we speak today, might not be necessarily on the radar of Sport Ireland or even of their own sport, but who progresses quickly over the course of the next six or eight months? How adaptable and how flexible is the system to actually accommodate those kind of athletes? So um, we're very flexible in our approach and um, our high performance committee, um, they're very challenging to us about ensuring that we respond positively to performance opportunities. Um, So that's a really good steer that we get um, from the high performance committee led by Olive Lachnan. we have conversations uh, with ongoing with Weightlifting Ireland and Basketball Ireland around high performance sports um, and their programs. Um, and they're currently not high performance funded programs. Um, but we have come up with ways that we can support them um, without looking at it as black and white as you're high performance or you're not. Um, we want to support people who are doing good things, have a passion for what they're doing and also have the potential to do something really well. So those conversations are always uh, an open door for us and we encourage in individuals to, to have those conversations. And how important is the athlete voice in all of this? Like the, you know, the amount of money, well, everybody will always say that they always do with a little bit more to fund whatever they need to do in their lifestyle. But do the athletes have a, you know, a sense of engagement with you on this? I know that the figures, uh, you know, went up uh, back in 2021, uh, you know, from 12 to 18 and 18 to 25,000 and, and, and so on. But is that is that enough? Did the athletes expressive view that you will listen to in terms of how much money is needed and perhaps around the criteria and the guidelines as to how it can be gained, drawn down, spent, etc. etc. Yeah, the, the alley voice is is essential um in, in the system. Um athletes themselves are are the most important people um to the high performance system and the high performance uh, strategy references the philosophy which is that they are at the center of what we we're trying to do so they're critical um and their voice is is uh continuously on our mind to ensure we capture it uh, for us, the best way um, that it can emerge is once they have strong structures in national governing bodies where they have an athlete commission um, or an athlete leadership group where those voices can emerge to the national governing bodies and where our direct relationship with the national governing body can then facilitate uh, that 
that uh, information to pass through. That's where it works really effectively. So uh, we encourage national governing bodies to ensure within their own sport they have strong mechanisms for uh, allowing and enabling the athlete voice. Um, and then uh, in terms of the carding scheme, in terms of the benefits that we've seen, these are all driven by the athletes. So the increase from 12,000 to 18,000 in international carding and 20 to 25,000 in world-class carding, that's a that's a direct um, that's a direct change from those athletes um, and communicating effectively what they need. Furthermore, to that, we in we introduced the athlete career transition program uh, just this cycle, which when athletes retire, they'll receive 50% of their funding award uh, upon retirement. More critically, um, and I know money is important, but more importantly for the athletes is that they'll also receive a continuation of services uh, through the Sport Ireland Institute. So we work very closely with the Sport Ireland Institute on this on this transition program, and it's really effective. And what it requires from the athletes is engagement. So they'll get as much from it as long as they are willing to engage in the program. And it's really important that athletes understand that, you know, your sore shoulder as an athlete is a sore shoulder as a person as well, you know, so you need to look after yourself upon retirement. Um, and this helps that step down and that transition. Um, so we're really proud of that program, but we'll always reflect on it and see what further changes are needed to be made um, because we think it's an evolving, it's an evolving piece, the athlete support. It really is. It's a, it's a great thing to do. Like elite sport at the very highest level can be very brutal in that, you know, there will always need to be a place filled. And if it's not you, then it's somebody who you might have been competing with or competing against, uh, you know, on the track or in the pool or, uh, or on the course, uh, you know, only, only in, in days beforehand. So when the end comes, it comes very young and it comes with a kind of a savage brutality as well. Um, you you'd understand that as well. You were you were a swimmer uh, at international level for Ireland. And how did how did the, the the sort of you know the funding mechanisms work for you? And when you were younger, was that something that shaped the way that you work with the team now in in relation to this? Yeah, um, I guess so. Like I'm very passionate about um, Irish athletes um, in the. Irish high performance system. I'm very passionate about Irish athletes having an opportunity to base themselves in Ireland and excel. That's what I did in my own uh, swimming career. Um, and that's where I'd like to see it go for a lot of sports that they can legitimately consider basing themselves in Ireland and being the best in the world. Um, so that's that's a journey that we're on, I think, across uh, several sports. But we do see it currently in 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 many rowing, for example, gymnastics, uh, athletics as well. So and swimming. So um, for me, the. The transition was uh, difficult. Um, it's a very individual experience. Um, I don't know when you say you finally transition, uh, really, but I left swimming and I was pretty un underprepared in the transition piece. I probably was more focused on the actual leaving the sport than than what happens after I leave the sport, um, which is natural. Um, but there's a lot more safeguards in place to avoid that now, which is which is positive. Um, I started working in Swim Ireland. I got an internship, um, you know, the week after I retired, um, and I was there for three months, and then and then four years passed, and I was still there. So, um, I got to stay involved in high performance sport, which is where my passion was, uh, and I got some really great support. Um, 
and great experience in the administration side of high performance sport. And I was fortunate to work under Peter Banks, who was the performance director in Swim Ireland at the time, and Sarah Keane as well, uh, chief executive there. So that really allowed me to hone my craft as an administrator. Um, and uh, moving on then to Sport Ireland has been an absolute pleasure for the last um, eight years. Yeah, you uh, you were one of the, the first cohort through in our uh, sport business and PwC thirty under thirty. Yeah, I wasn't and I wasn't sure if it was uh, I wasn't sure if it was my mother that nominated me on that one. <laughs> it was it was quite an honor. Yeah, uh, I think it came. Yeah, I think it came from a couple of different nominations, including probably some of the people that you that you're working with alongside there. I mean, you've mentioned Olive Lochnan as chair of the high performance, uh, you know, committee uh, of podium athlete herself you've got Paul McDermott and you've got a team of people around in Sport Ireland there that have kind of been there and have bought the t-shirt and understand that you know that there is a kind of a universality to sport and sporting performance and putting those pieces in place to enable people to to excel as a team does this publication of the international, uh, you know, and podium of the world class funding for the athletes and the programs, does this feel like a, a milestone in the year? And especially so in a year like 2024, when we've got the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games. Like the other thing about high performance sport is that it's deadline driven. The competition doesn't stop just because you might not have been able to put all the pieces in place. Yeah. It does. Um, so the people you referenced there, um, Olive Lochnan, Paul McDermott, um, we have a really good high performance team as well. Um, we have um, John Donnelly, who's our high performance culture and integrity advisor, and Kieran Ward, who's our head of high performance coaching. Um, and he's a former uh, double Olympian um, in judo. So we have a wealth of experience in the team that we're working with. Um and we're trying to do really good things. Um, and I guess we all have a role to play in delivering the high performance strategy, which goes to 2032, um, which is obviously quite a while away, but will pass quickly. The announcement of funding today is uh, a point on that journey. Um, so it's a milestone and it's really important to acknowledge it um, and celebrate it. Um, and but also know that we're on a, a long journey that will continue ever more. So the Olympic Games, Paralympic Games this summer, they're a key piece uh, on that journey for 2032 of the strategy. Um, but everything moves on after that as well. So our role is to be there for the system um, and to be there for every medal, be it a European Junior World Championships or Olympic or Paralympic Game medal um, and support um, the journey of each athlete, coach and administrator and national governing body as well um so for us we're very much focused on the system we are really excited about what paris may bring um but we know that uh, after paris and um, there's there's a monday after paris as well so we need to be there for that um and help sports transition then into the new cycle to 2028 you know it's really heartening to hear you talking about culture and integrity and the person at the heart of it, because sometimes sport can be about the mechanics and it's about shaving that hundredth of a second off the time. But as often as not, it's in the head that that happens rather than in the fast twitch muscles. So it looks as though you're doing a great job. Um, all of the numbers are trending in the right direction. Funding helps with that. And it was great to actually sort of have this funding announced today. Um, thanks a million for taking the time and, and the insight into a world that we tend not to look behind 
as closely as we have over the last uh, the last short while. So, uh, Nevo Sullivan, uh, thank you very much. Thanks to Neve for taking the time out to chat. The Olympics and Paralympic Games are looming on the horizon and they have the potential to be the best ever for Team Ireland. You can follow the journey and plenty more in the commercial world of sport by subscribing to the Sport for Business podcast, which drops every Tuesday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. There are loads of interviews to listen back to, including with CEOs like Hamish Adams of Athletics Ireland, athletes like Reese McLenaghan, inspiring individuals and more. If you like it, please feel free to spread the word. And if you'd like to hear from a particular guest, please feel free to get in touch. Find out more about what we do day in, day out at sportforbusiness.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen in.